We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Finally, I'm getting a fantasy football savant, an expert on the pod. A lot of the legends, Andrew and legends is like the name of the community at VM. You know, like if you ever see me tweeting out, this guy's a legend. It could be a good or a bad thing based on the lingo and veterans minimum world. But Andrew Erickson, a guy who I've been a fan of and I've gotten to know for many years now i feel like i uh i kind of found you before you blossomed into this star that you are now i mean lamb you're definitely one of the ogs easily <laughs> enough yeah man we've been we've uh built a friendship uh through social media over the last couple of years and, and i love the work you were doing with pff i was like you know what i know this kid let me get the takes from him this way i can dm him if he's wrong also you know because that's the <laughs> fantasy world man you can't it's a it's a it's a wacky world right i'm sure you've dealt with some uh craziness from fans right i mean that's why the the mute button is my my best friend on the social media platforms and why i don't look at youtube comments you know for, for those exact reasons because People will find me if they really want me to know how they feel. I don't need to go looking for it on my own. You know, some of the, the other analysts will like look at the YouTube comments and I'm just like, you know what? I have there. I can doom scroll if I want to. Like, that's how I will, you know, ruin, ruin my night. Like, I don't need to look on YouTube and, and people send me the good comments. So that keeps me positive. There you go. Yeah, the good, the good always outweighs the bad, in my opinion, even though we do gravitate to the negativity. Andrew Erickson's 2022 redraft fantasy football rankings now up on fantasy pros, as you can see in the back background, you guys are watching this on YouTube. How'd you end up at fantasy pros, man? And how are you enjoying the, the fantasy buildup now? Cause this is your time to shine this time of year. Yeah, no, super exciting as the calendar turns into August, just absolutely thrilled about, you know, getting to see some preseason games, getting to see, you know, news from training camp, making adjustments and hopefully not overreacting because, Hey, you overreacted last year to Jamar chase, not catching football as well. You got smoked. Mm. Uh, if you faded Jamar chase last year, so not overreacting and, and really trying to remember that 
the good analysis is, is better than what X beat reporter said about why X, Y, and Z. So uh, keep that in mind, but, you know, making the move to fantasy pros, they had been kind of like scouting um, and obviously looking for more talent after the late passing of, you know, a friend and mentor of mine, Mike Taglier last year, um, they needed to fill in for some of the talent they had in their fantasy department. And I had worked previously with the host of the fantasy pros football podcast, Joe Pisapia in other stints in the fantasy space. And he basically recruited me um, and really wanted me to work there because he wanted to work with people that he liked. And, you know, I'm sure that a lot of your listeners can relate to any type of job. A lot of times you get jobs because you know someone like that's really kind of the key of how things work. People want to work with people that they're comfortable with people that they're familiar with. And I had familiar people already in fantasy pros that had already actually been doing stuff for a little bit on the side, even though I was at PFF, you know, doing uh, podcast guest appearances, doing some video stuff for them. And they really wanted to bring me on full time and kind of take things to the next level. So in addition to doing like writing content, I do more podcasts, I do more video content, I'm on TikTok, I I'm loving it. And I I'm really trying to hit every different avenue um, in the fantasy space and really try to reach an audience and, and create a, a following where people are just really dedicated and people want to have fun. You know, that's what fantasy is at the end of the game or at the end of the day. It's a, a game about having a good time and having fun, being competitive because, you know, at this point, most of us can't, you know, play sports anymore. Like mm. where, you know, we, we go to the gym, like that's kind of how we do our competitive thing. We do things here and there, but nothing gets the competitive juices flowing more than your fantasy draft, setting your lineup and talking smack every single week. And I'm just glad to be part of the content that's behind it. I oh, mean, you bring up a good point about people wanting to work with people that they're familiar with that they're comfortable with and, you know, never burning any bridges because you never know who might need you or, or, or call for you for something opportunity. You always want to be good with people. Um, I want to I have a couple of like we're going to get into like individual players. I sent you some players that I want to spotlight and I got your rankings in front of me and I'll I'll attach the link of your rankings in the bio of this episode so people can go check that out, too. But I kind of have like some general questions of just like approach to fantasy also, because I'm curious as someone who does it now for a living and you actually talk about it for a living as a, and then you have like the casual aspect too. How much uh, stock do you put into these reports that come from B riders? You touched on like the Jamar Chase thing last year and him not being able to catch a football because it was a different the size of the football. What was it? The the ring of it? Laces, the, the laces. laces. Yeah, it was the laces. Couldn't see the ball because of the laces because they didn't they don't have those on college balls. <laughs> yeah, that really dumb dumb take and people were like <laughs> dropping them in draft boards and then he has a goes bananas in the season. So like, how much stock do you put into a report coming out of camp? Because this is a time of year where it's, oh, this is the best we've seen him, right? Like physically, this is the best shape this player has been. How much stock you put into that? I think it's less about, you know, what I think from a personal standpoint and kind of just doing what the opposite of what, you know, the market thinks in, in terms of like ADP. So the fact that, you know, the Jamar Chase thing last year caused this absolute ruckus and in terms of like dropping his average draft position the move was to then just do the opposite of that, you know, of it, if it making a, a huge fuss. And I think this year, kind of the example is, you know, the Titans rookie receiver was been Traylon Burks. 
like during, you know, OTAs, like they were saying that like, he can't breathe and his ADP was like actually like, dropping in some like off season drafts I was in. And now like the newest stuff is that he's like, he's fine. And it's like, okay, like, so he was fine the whole time. And basically you should just have been looking at him as he was a first round rookie pick that has a really dedicated, de- uh, decorated college profile. So I'm in the camp of basically fading any of the training camp noise that is causing a shift in the market and buying into the ones that no one cares about. So buying into the ones that people are ignoring. And the example I'll give for this one, again, this isn't public news because this wasn't a popularized opinion, but I remember getting advice from a beat reporter talking about the Raiders last year on Sirius XM radio. And we were talking about, okay, like Darren Waller is like the guy there, like great, you know, great tight end. So, but we have these other receivers in the offense. Like we have, you know, Henry Ruggs, you know, for first round pick, Brian Edwards, you know, third round pick, you know, which one of these two guys you think is going to like step up behind, you know, Darren Waller in the Raiders offense. And the beat reporters like, and forgive me, I I can't remember his name, but it was like, no, dude, Hunter Renfro is going to lead this team in catches and yards. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, Mm. Hunter Renfro is going to do it. But that take was never caught on by big media or, or big fantasy or whatever, like, you know, ESPN or Yahoo, like didn't cover that. And that's why no one cared about Hunter Renfro. It's like, oh, no, we want to draft these other guys. Like Hunter Renfro is a little small white wide receiver. Like we don't want him. And he was a fringe wide receiver one last year, a you know, top 13, top 12 guy. Obviously some injuries played into it, but the fact of the matter was the kid could play ball. And he showed us last year that he was capable of leading the team in receptions and targets and yards. So it's things like that and, that I try to pay t- attention to more and to kind of give some foreshadowing of a player that could potentially fall into that role as like a sleeper is Nicole Hardman for the Chiefs. So the Chiefs, you know, everyone wants to know like, okay, Travis Kelsey, again, very similar situation. Like, mm. you know who the tight end is, like you're, you know who the tight end is. But then after the tight end, you have a bunch of new guys because Tyree Kill is gone. It's like, oh, is it Juju? Is it Sky Moore? Is it Valdez Scantling? Like, you're asking all these questions. And I got, you know, from a beat reporter from Kansas City, Nicole Hartman. It's going to be the guy that leads the team in receiving yards. And you're just like, what? Like, how can that be possible? And yet he's the one that's drafted after all the other Chiefs receivers because nobody cares because nobody, you know, believes it or they've been burned too many Scarred times by Nicole yeah. Hartman. But when you look at McCole Hardman's body of work, and it's something I actually wrote about on Fantasy Pros, you look at his body of work through three years, it's eerily similar, almost identical, you know, in terms of receiving yards per game, receptions, targets, special teams, like touchdowns, like punt returns and things like that. Tyler Lockett, very, very similar to Tyler Lockett. Tyler Lockett, year four, wide receiver one. He was a wide receiver one in year four. And Lockett, you know, had a really good rookie year, like flashed a lot of big play potential. And then like the next two seasons kind of like, you know, he never really hit. And, and I remember like drafting Tyler Lockett after his rookie year, thinking, expecting really big things that he never really popped, you know, right after a, a pretty, you know, aspiring rookie season. And that's kind of, I feel like Nicole Hartman. It's like, we, we were expecting it to happen in year two or year three still hasn't happened. It's like, all right, we'll just give up on year four. But if there's ever an opportunity for Tyreek Hill to take, or excuse me, for Nicole Hartman to take on that bigger role, it would happen the year when Tyreek Hill is not on the team anymore because 
that's why they drafted him in the first place was to be the next version of Tyreek Hill. So long story short, you know, I think Hardman is a, a guy that your audience should look at as a, a potential sleeper and a perfect example of how to handle training camp news is to find the stuff that you, you don't want to be on the hype train with, Oh, this guy's the best shape of his life. Like you don't want to be overdrafting that guy. You want to be drafting the guy that you saw one report that never got caught onto. And that's what I try to like look through. Like a lot of my stuff has stuff that's related to that. That isn't popped on by big media. That isn't affecting markets. That it's not affecting ADP because people have already made up their minds on Michael Hartman. They're like, nope, not doing it. Even though we have, you know, an opinion. Again, it may not come true, but it's like, I, I didn't think the Hunter Renfro was going to come true and I should have listened, but I didn't. And neither did the market. So that's kind of a good example of kind of how I think about training camp. And it's just better on like betting against the house, essentially, is the way I look at it. Dude, I absolutely love it. And it makes so much sense, right? Because I think I think with Miko Hardman in particular and this situation, using him as an example, he was drafted as a direct replacement for Tyreek Hill, like you mentioned. So the weeks when like Sammy Watkins would sit or Demarcus Robinson would sit and they'd run both of them out there, Hardman would just let so many people down. And I feel like a lot of people are low on Miko Hardman because it's like, oh, we've heard this before. We've dealt with this before. And it's just they've been scarred over and over again when, oh, this is going to be the week that he pops because Tyreek is out. And then it's like two for 27 yards and he just like burns you, whether it's in daily fantasy or if it's a yearly fantasy. I was going to get to this question a little later, but I, I, I feel like it's a good way to start talking about some of this stuff with the idea of like players burning you and mm. then you're scarred. Right, dude. How do you feel about Christian McCaffrey going number one? Because to me, I know in your rankings, you have them two behind Jonathan Taylor, as I have them up right now. But like, I know the injuries are piling up, right? And it's it's a little concerning for sure, because the last two years, his season has been derailed because of injuries. But this is a guy who has overall slate breaking RB1 upside every time he's on the field, even in the two games he played last year, like in my league, he was putting up 25 points each, each time. So like two part question, how do you feel about like the injury concerns for players just in general? And then like, is am I crazy for thinking CMC should go one? Like, I think it's yes. a no brainer personally. Yeah. So I think that going back to the, the injury question, just like talking about players that burn you in general, it's really easy to fall to the side of, you know, drafting or just making decisions in general based on emotion. Cause it's really easy. It's just like this guy burned me. Don't want to draft him. It's as simple as that. One, two, three. Like it doesn't take a lot of, you know, debating analysis in your mind to make that decision. And it's almost like a relief for your, your brain because you can just make an easy decision and, and you're satisfied with that. Like you're not like oh, regretting uh, like, I can't decide, you know, you should be, Oh, McCaffrey literally burns me every year. So I'm not going to draft. Like it's that simple, but that's the path where you're going to get beat more often than not, because there are people that know you're making decisions based on emotions and they're using research and, and numbers. And that more often than not, is going to lead to the right results. You know, you really have to try to take emotion out of the game as much as humanly possible. Now, that's not saying like 
you ignore the fact that McCaffrey has missed a ton of games in the last season. Like that's real. Like that is really in his outcome, but you have to look at it in a different lens. You can't look at it as, okay, like he's burned me. It's like, okay, like McCaffrey has sustained two injuries over the last two seasons. He's missed games. That's obviously a risk, but what running back hasn't missed games over the last yep. two seasons? You know, what running back has, his production hasn't fallen off when he's been healthy, as you alluded to, you know, in his four healthy games last year, 26 fantasy points per game, like in PPR. So uh, in nasty, like just super efficient. And not every running back can say that, you know, Zeke, he plays all the games. Yeah, that's great. But he sucks in half of them. So so, yeah. so what is that really uh, doing for you? So McCaffrey, I'm, I'm, I'm still like open to taking him, you know, I mean, I haven't ranked it too. So it's not like I'm like, oh, like you can't draft him. Right. I'm not on that side of the debate. But the reason I have Jonathan Taylor, number one, is I mentioned the McCaffrey. And this is something actually kind of like I found new. I kind of discovered new uh, specific stat that I think actually points into Jonathan Taylor's camp very strongly. So I mentioned McCaffrey's 26 fantasy points per game in PPR, four healthy starts last season. And Jonathan Taylor's last 13 starts. He averaged 25.6 PPR fantasy points per game, 13 game sample size. So people are pointing to Taylor's season long average. It's less than McCaffrey's from four games, but Taylor in the beginning of last season, like wasn't scoring any touchdowns. Like he right. was, just like, he actually started the season out really slow. And I remember writing about him. I was like, by low, like, dude, this guy's a screaming by low. And then he scored like that 70 yard touchdown on Monday night football. And I was like, Oh, the window is, slam shut like and then he just like went on a freaking tear so that's part of the reason why i like taylor he's been more durable i i believe that he will play the same are uh, all the games i think he's a better chance of playing all the games because of the way that he's used in the colts offense versus mccaffrey he's younger than mm. christian mccaffrey is and i think it's important to remember you know what are you trying to do in your league yes you want to you know dominate your league but you really only have to beat like 50 60% of your league mates to make the playoffs. Like really you're trying to make the playoffs in, in most formats you make the playoffs and it's kind of like open season. Like yep. there's no advantage, like having the number one seed, like, okay, like maybe you can get a bye week, but that's just, you know, an automatic win for a week. Like you're still subject to variance in the playoff weeks. And I mean, most of us, at least my goal for all this, the leagues I play in, I just want to make the postseason. Like I think that, you know, if you're a good fantasy manager and you can make smart draft, decisions you should make the fantasy playoffs like you should see that as success because there are random weeks where it's like oh what if McCaffrey misses week 16 it's like you don't have him and then who's the backup you know is Jonathan Taylor more likely to be there in the fantasy playoffs I would probably bet yeah I feel like he's a better chance of being there when it matters in the championship weeks because as much as we you know we it's funny because we waste so much of the fantasy championship at the end when there are so many weeks beforehand that, you know, so that matters so much. And that's why it's so devastating to lose in your fantasy championship when you run the table, you know, all year long. And what I'm saying is, yes, McCaffrey gives you a better chance of like running the table, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win your championship. Like Jonathan Taylor can get you there just as easily as McCaffrey. So with that in mind, I don't feel the need to take on the additional risk that a guy like McCaffrey offers while also recognizing, Hey, like I still have him number two overall. And I get the idea of taking, I'm not fading him in any way, shape or form because of his injuries, because that's drafting based on it, uh, based on emotion. Because when you look at the actual facts, 
the actual injuries. Like he's not like coming off like torn ligaments. Like he's had like a shoulder injury. He's had a, an ankle injury, like nothing that's required like this massive surgery, like torn Achilles. Like we're seeing a lot of running backs go down with that specific injury. Like those aren't the injuries he's had. Right. So the, the fact that he's had like a little more of like non-common injuries, I think is actually good for him to return. Like no one's worried about, you know, people are just worried about him, like not being available for the games, but no one's like, Oh, like, what if he like, isn't as good when he's healthy? It's like, no, he's going to be good. Like, like I think that that that's the case, but I also think that Jonathan Taylor is going to be really good too. And, you know, to highlight one more thing about Taylor, Taylor has the ultimate, the ultimate check down quarterback now with Matt Ryan. Like Matt yeah. Ryan is a statue. Like that dude cannot move. And what I mean is like, we saw Brady, Pepper, Leonard Fournette with targets last year. Like, dude, I think Taylor and Naeem Hines could both see a ton of targets in the Colts offense. Now, not the level that McCaffrey, you know, sees as a receiver, but I mean, Taylor has room to grow in his receiving role. And, and I don't think that's being considered enough. Like his season last year as an RB1 was excellent, but it wasn't like like McCaffrey's RB1 season or like LaDainlene Tomlinson RB1 seasons. But don't put it past Taylor because that's in his range of outcomes. Like he is that good. Like yeah. he is that good of being that guy where he could have a legendary season in him, which wasn't the case last year. Like he got there because a lot of the other running backs got hurt. So by default, he still had a really good year. And I think there's room to grow. So that's the case on Taylor versus McCaffrey. I think that they're both worthy of taking first overall, but just based on, you know, the way that most leagues are set up, I think that Taylor is just the guy that I would just lean slightly towards more. Um, but definitely not, you know, I'm up at 102. CMC is my guy. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a that's a fair assessment. And and I like to call on, on Matt Ryan too. I think that the offense will probably be better um for for the Colts. So maybe that could open up a couple of things for Jonathan Taylor. Uh a guy I want to ask you about. Now now we'll get into the 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 range of like players in particular I want to highlight. And I guess we could just stay with the running backs because I see that you have you have Saquon Barkley at 12 overall for you. Um, it could be the Giants fan to me, but I, I'm I'm relatively high on the Giants. Uh, not so much this year, though. I think the team is going to improve, but I like what they're doing later down the line. But we're talking about fantasy uh, as far as this year goes. I think this is the best situation he's been in, and he's a year removed now, a full year removed from recovering from the ACL, and the offensive line is going to be better. Dable coming in past first philosophy, his approach to offense. I think it suits the half PPR style of like a Saquon Barkley out the backfield. I think he's a guy that could play himself into being a top five overall running back this season. I think that is a great assessment of Saquon Barkley. And I want to draft him. Like, I, I think that he fits in like what you mentioned talking about the half point scoring PPR scoring, you know, he catches passes and it's funny, you know, I first ranked Barkley. He was probably much lower when I first did my rankings, you know, back in, I don't remember how often like March or something like that. They make us put him out way too early, you know, or way too early rankings. And, you know, I kind of like ranked him super low, just basically assumptions. Like I like, I already assumed he was like already hurt. Like basically I was like, Oh, like he's like, he's rehabbing another injury. And then you like look back and like, wait a minute, like, 
wait, he's like healthy right now. <laughs> like mm-hmm. he's not, he's not rehabbing an injury. He's not coming off an injury. And then I was also expecting the giants to add running back, you know, all the, the signs were showing that they were going to add a running back um, in the draft. They had a lot of running back visits. So I was like, I was like, again, they're going to add like Brian Robinson or Zamir white or one of these guys. They had no one. Uh, they had Matt Breida who last time we saw Matt Breida in Brian Dable's offense, he was literally on the bench and, yep. and Brian Dable wanted nothing to do with that. <laughs> so dude. Yeah. I think that Barkley, he's someone that's definitely been rising up a lot of rankings over the offseason. I think for similar reasons to like kind of what I was, was referring to, but you look at the situation overall, like improved offensive line, the coaching personnel is also upgraded five games last year when he was healthy you know, RB 10 in terms of points per game with Daniel Jones under center. So yeah. And the fact that he's already done it before, like that matters. Like a lot of the research I've done looking at like breakout running backs, they don't come out of nowhere. Like there's a track record of them either being efficient or catching passes. Like he was the RB one, like he's Mm. literally done it before he's caught 90 passes or 80 something passes in one season. And that's just special. Like there are running backs that just won't, that's never going to happen for them ever. And the fact, the, the other thing too, that I found that was really interesting looking at like some of these breakout running backs, like James Conner last year, Fournette, some of these guys impending free agents. Like we're just talking about like running backs for contract years. And usually it's not, you know, people make the argument like at all positions, like, oh, it's like a wide receiver. Like he's got a, it's contract year. He's got to put up numbers, a tight end quarterback, whatever. But like running back, the team is incentivized to give them the ball more because they know they can just beat them into the ground. And then they just say, okay, well, you can walk. Like, so it's a mutual understanding that yeah, it's we a mutual both, understanding. Yes. And, and it was, it was weird because like uh, a lot of the running backs that really popped off last year were impending free agents. And then it's usually the year after they get paid on Fournette, perfect example, he gets fat. He got pays like, oh man, I don't care anymore. Not to say he's fat. He, he's slim. He's back to slim Lenny, but yeah, Barkley, like he fits that criteria of a guy, you know, picked the fifth year option, but like doesn't have a long-term deal with the giants. Brian Dable's a smart guy. Like he understands that, there could be this is a lot. This could be the last year for a lot of Giants players as mm-hmm. they kind of look to rehaul things. But Barkley is the best player on offense on the Giants, and, and you can't say that about a lot of running backs on different teams. And that in itself puts him into a, a tier of players that you know have top five upside. So basically, you know, my Barkley ranking is is a lot dependent on like his average draft position. So. As if that keeps going up, like he's going to keep going up my rankings. Like I want to be on Saquon Barkley. And I think that he is someone because last year too, like last year, I remember ranking him as like a top three running back. Like no, I didn't think anything else about it. And then he was coming off the injury mm-hmm. and it was a slow start. But then even when he, even when he finally got healthy last year, like we did see it a little bit and then he got hurt again. And there was that, that just like freakish Cowboys, like, Oh my God, like the dude just can't catch a freaking break. And, you know, just never really was the same again. And, but like, what do you expect? Like, the yeah. offense was so bad. Like, no one could do anything in that offense. So, yeah, I, I think Barkley's definitely someone to be in on. I love the situation now. Free agent, he should get the workload. There's no one really else in that backfield. I'm really concerned about seeing touches. And look, man, like, he's, a, he's the best player on offense. And when that's the case, you get him the ball.
Yeah, no, I, I I was jumping up and down if you guys are watching this on YouTube when you talked about the contract stuff, because I'm always I'm always betting on that. Right. Like the guy going into if you sign a one year deal, approve a deal, you take less money, something like that. I'm always behind that guy in all sports across the board, but especially when it comes to something like football. And he also plays a position where it's mutually agreed that, you know what, we're going to we're both going to benefit if we do it this way. Staying with the running back position. What do you think of Derrick Henry, man? Because I've been I've been uh, burned the last couple of years, even though last year kind of. It came true, but he got hurt, so I don't like getting like a victory lap out of that because I didn't expect them to get hurt. I just thought that like, yo, we've never seen a player get 400 plus touches that many years in a row and continue to be dominant. And now I think like from a betting perspective, I think if I was to tell you, bro, this is my favorite bet in all of football. It's the Titans win total under nine and a half. I think they check all the boxes of a team that's going to regress the big concern I have for the Titans going into last season was what happens if the two wide receivers that they had went down? Well, now they don't even have those two wide receivers. And now Henry's coming off the injury. I think you're going to see teams put all 11 guys in the box and be like, yo, Tannehill, do what you can. We'll leave those wide receivers open. I I think Derrick Henry is there's like I wouldn't draft Derrick Henry unless he's there in like the fourth round for me, which wouldn't happen. I'm saying like, there's no way I'm taking him in the first round. Like uh, no, I'm just off. No, I, I like that. You, you come on that strong like about Derrick Henry. I know on a recent podcast that we did on, on fantasy pros, one of the analysts, you know, he's like, dude, Derrick Henry's not in my top 12. So like, again, like a guy that you're not taking in round one. And I mean, he's, a consensus top five pick most of the time. Like that's where you just see him. You don't usually see him fall outside the top 10. And I mean, I'm with you, dude. Like I think that the Tennessee Titans have been running so pure in terms of, you know, we all know they're going to regress at some point. And, and the fact that they were the number one seed last year and by every metric, they're like, this is the worst number worst. one seed we have ever seen. It's just, everything points to this Titans offense potentially just being a, a dumpster fire and it just not being something that you want a part of or piece of, you know, something I try to advocate a lot for in fantasy drafts is targeting players on good offenses, especially mm. in the early rounds of drafts. Now there are particular players in specific and particular players that can overcome those situations. Like for example, if we're talking about the giants, you know, running backs are involved in the passing game are guys that can overcome, you know, bad offenses because when teams are playing from behind, they catch passes and they score fantasy points that way. But in the case of a guy like Derrick Henry, that's not his role. Like he runs the football as a rusher. He has never been used as a receiver. Like he's never really had receiving usage that you could really hold your head on. Last year, you know, he was up around 30 touches per game. Basically, usage we've never seen from a running back, even from his 2000 yard season before, like he wasn't averaging 30 touches per game. And you pointed to the fact that, you know, you want to take a victory lap on Derrick Henry, but it's like, well, you know, part of the analysis was right. It's like, there's no way he can hold up. And that turned out to be true. It's weird because like people that were on here will be like, Oh, he was, he was unstoppable for for eight weeks. Like that's correct. And then the last eight weeks, he did nothing because he couldn't hold up. So no one was really right about Derrick Henry last year because yeah. of that reason. It's like right in the middle of the season. Because if you drafted him, like 
she helped you and then you were able to kind of figure something out. So, cause I didn't like Henry that much either last year. I, I was fading, you know, him expecting him to regress. And I just think that I'm going to go back to that. Like, I, I don't think my analysis was wrong about that last year. And I, I'm not going to change my stance on a player just because, you know, oh, he proved me wrong. And I, I don't want to be, you know, someone that just continues to beat a dead horse. That's just, that, that clearly is alive at this point. But it's like, dude, it's going to happen eventually rather than not. And I'd rather be, you know, talking about, you know, as a Patriots fan, you know, following Bill Belichick, rather be a year early than a year late. And maybe I was one year early on Derrick Henry. And the fact that he did get hurt maybe is showing, you know, some cracks in the armor. Because up to this point, he had never gotten hurt before. And right. he was basically invincible. And now, like I said, there is a crack in the armor, specifically in Derrick Henry's foot. So I think that when you look at no receiving usage, the Titans offense, like I love the under on the win total. Like, how good is this offense? Like, do we, oh, are, are people like, oh, I got to have peace of the Titans offense. Like their offense is like that. The Titans are not one of them. You know, super, you know, team that's going to regress, number one seed last year. You look at their um, offensive line in terms of PFF rankings, 27th ranked offensive line. I um, mean, look at their average draft position. So when you just take all of the players from each team and you aggregate their ADP, 28th in terms of ADP. So the market is literally telling us that people don't want to draft the Titans. Like, yeah. And ADP is like pretty sharp. Like I, I did this test with ADP basically going into last year, you know, ranking all of the offenses by average draft position. And when I looked at the finishers, it's like, okay, like we are good at identifying for the most part, season to season, who the good offenses are. Like, yes, there are going to be a couple that, you know, jump a spot, you know, go from average to good, go from, you know, average to below average, go from good to just average like that. There is some fluctuation there, but for the most part, we're pretty good at projecting like which offense are going to be good. And all the signs are pointing to the Titans, not being one of those offenses. So to invest in their running back, that is super dependent on touch volume and positive game scripts just seems like a recipe for, for disaster. And the one thing I'll point to about Derrick Henry in terms of like his absurd efficiency and all those numbers. So rushing yards over expectation per attempt over the fast last four years for Derrick Henry. So 1.2 in 2018 was third. 2019 was 1.06, was first. 2020 was 1.15. 1 Last year was 0 0.05, which was 23rd. So this mm. was the first year since 2018 where he was not creating one yard over expectation per attempt. Basically, he was at zero. So he was more dependent on the offensive line play in 2021 than he had been the three years prior. That's telling you that this running back is starting to slow down a little bit. Like he's not doing as much on his own. And if that's the case, he's going to be more dependent on his surroundings, which I think that we've done a great job of pointing out are not good. Yeah. They don't look good this year. So yeah, man, I'm, I'm terrified of Derrick Henry. And I know that he's going to have games against Jacksonville and Houston that just like make me want to hurt myself because <laughs> he, just, he, he always kills those teams. But in the other games, it's going to be like, oh, 20, yard, 20 rushing attempts for 50 yards and yeah. one catch. Six points. Great. Glad I didn't draft him this year. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about a couple of third-year wide receivers that I definitely have my eye on. And one in particular who I've already 
one of the first bets that I made was for him to lead the league in receiving yards. I got it at 15 to one. And you have him as your sixth best wide receiver right now in your rankings. And that's CD Lamb. I really think, dude, CD Lamb has a chance to finish as a top three wide receiver this season. Um, I think if you look at the situation he's in, no Gallup until late October, early November, based off him tearing his ACL last season. No Amari Cooper, no Cedric Wilson, who at first you might say Cedric Wilson. Well, anytime that dude was starting, I felt like he would have three for 80 and a touchdown. You're like, well, what the? I know, I know in daily fantasy, I would, I would take CD or I'd take Amari. And I'm like, why is Cedric Wilson the number <laughs> one? What's happening? And I think, I think Dallas's offense is efficient. Like Dak is a very efficient quarterback. And I think CD Lamb is it's the the year three eruption potential with him i think could be phenomenal so i'm i'm very high on cd lamb how do you feel about cd lamb heading into this season i i like lamb a lot i actually moved him up a little bit i think i had mike evans ranked ahead of him before julio jones signed to tampa bay so i moved i moved lamb back up and we all know the talent is there for lamb and He's he's teased us, I think, for the first two years. Like he's been good, like, but he's he's yet to be great. Like that's kind of what we're all waiting for. And right. a lot of it has to do with there were just a lot of other pieces in the offense that like needed to get, you know, targets. And that was kind of the biggest issue with him was just like last year, 18% target share outside of the top 30. It's just really hard to like be a top five wide receiver when you're not seeing top five bowling. Like, that's just the fact of the matter. Unless you score, like, 13, 15 touchdowns, it's just really hard to do. And, look, Amari Cooper's a good receiver. Like, he's going to command targets in the offense. But now he's gone. You know, eighth most vacated targets from Dallas, as you kind of mentioned. So I think that he's going to get over the 20% target share mark, which is kind of that minimum threshold for these top-end wide receivers. Because when he is running routes – He's the one that's being targeted the most. 21% target rate per route run last year was higher than anyone else in Dallas. And when you look at the games where he does get targets in terms of scoring double-digit fantasy points, so basically when you looked at last year, there was only one game where he didn't score double-digit fantasy points when he had fewer than six targets. Like, I remember the game where he destroyed my New England Patriots. Mm -hmm. Like, that game was... Like that's CD Lamb. That, that, that's what he could be. Just an absolute monster and someone that no one can cover. Like no one on the Patriots can cover him that day. Like it was like dumb. Like yeah. it, it was takeover. Yeah, it was a takeover. And he has that alpha ability in him. You know, whether he's like, and I think too, like with Dallas, like they never were so comfortable that they moved him around the formation a lot. But you're getting pointing to your guy, Cedric Wilson. Like when Cedric Wilson was like playing, like he would play in the slot and then they moved Lamb outside. But then right. Gallup and Cooper were healthy. They would move Lamb to the slot. And I'm all for moving your guy around. But it seemed like week to week, like Lamb was like, okay, like, where am I playing this week? And it's like, Dak could drop back and be like, where was Lamb? <laughs> like, 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 where did he line up this week? Like, what were we practicing this week? Because Cooper was on the injury report every single week. Gallup was on the injury report every single week. Like, so I think that now it's so clear, like, what his role on the offense is going to be with the pieces that they now have in place. I think it is wheels up for him to be a guy. And I've seen him go 
you know, at the end of the first round, at the top of the second round. I think that's appropriate. The other wide receiver that I was hinting to before is Jerry Judy. Now, I'm not going to come out and say he's going to be a top five wide receiver, but there's something about him. There's a third. If you look at like the history of, of, of the wide receivers, uh, like all the like the top tier ones, they it's usually like year three where they have like that eruption year and they sort of come on the map. Right. And I think Jerry Judy, to me, the comparison to how I see Denver using him with Russ is how like they would use Tyler Lockett in Seattle. So and and Russ and him have already hit it off. They've posted videos together. They're working together. I sound like what I was saying before, like the beat riders saying they're in the best shape ever. But I really like Jerry Judy, dude. He's had an awful quarterback situation the first couple of years in the, in the league, right? Like his rookie season, PFF charted him as the most uncatchable balls thrown in his direction. Like he had like the highest rate in the league. And then last year, again, a pretty crappy uh, um quarterback situation and he was banged up now he gets russell over there i think it's an improved it's an improved quarterback room with russell wilson over there how much upside do you see in jerry judy do you do you think he could be like the number one receiver on the broncos this year across the board also so i agree that i think judy is definitely in for a career year obviously the quarterback upgrade alone i think kind of gets that done for jerry judy but for me when I look at this Denver Broncos offense, I, I want Cortland Sutton. Like mm. that, that is the guy that I am trying to attach myself to everywhere. Like that's the guy that I think can be this year's Cooper Cup. Like basically, that's what I think. Wow. I have such high expectations for Cortland Sutton. And to contextualize that take the best way I can, I've actually like had to fester on this for a while because this was a take I had like very early on in the offseason. Because it was like when I first, when it first kind of came to me, I was like, this is like, it's my pin tweet. You know, if you don't follow me on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore, it's been my pin tweet since I think like March 31st, because I'm like, I'm getting out. The, I, I'm, I'm getting this takeout now. So if anyone like wants to copy it or whatever, like I said it first, you know, so it, it is there because I wanted to be on it early because with Sutton, what I see with him is a guy that could leave the NFL in red zone targets. And, and that's where I bring the pair comparison with Cooper cup, the Cooper cup, led the NFL in red zone targets last year. Now it's not guaranteeing that Sutton's going to be, you know, do all the things Cup did last year, catch 18 touchdowns and, you know, have like over 1800 receiving yards. Like, yeah. no, like, or be the wide receiver one, like overall in this like historic season, but leaving the NFL in red zone targets is definitely possible for Colton Sutton, because you look at the way that Russell Wilson delivers the ball to his receivers, a Seattle wide receiver has ranked top five, in red zone targets over the th three straight years. So whether it's been Lockett or DK Metcalf, one of those guys has always ranked inside the top five. So you already have, you know, if Sutton's a starting wide receiver on the Broncos, you already have top five essentially locked in, in my opinion, for a full-time starter on the outside for Russell Wilson. And you look at how Nathaniel Hackett is coming over as the offensive coordinator from Green Bay, we made the past two years, has been top five in terms of touchdown percentage thrown through the air. So you're seeing how the touchdowns kind of come to fruition for a guy like Portland Sutton, who, when we saw him last healthy in 2019, top 10 or number one in terms of target rate inside the 10 yard line. Like he's been a red zone monster and he's built like a red zone monster. Like yeah. he's six five, like he's a big dude. Like he's built more like you, you mentioned how Judy, 
reminds you of like how they use Tara Lockett and Sutton reminds you how they would use like DK Metcalf. And in yes. that comparison, you know, I just see the touchdown upside with Cortland Sutton being absolutely tremendous. And the one thing I'll push back to about with Jerry Judy is yes, I think that he's an elite separator. Like I think that the dude can get open at will and his numbers would be way better if he had a better quarterback. But at the same time, like Tim Patrick has had the same quarterback as him the last two years and Tim Patrick has out, outproduced him. Like very fair. Straight back. Like, and Cortland Sutton in 2019 had Drew Locke as a quarterback and Joe Flacco and was putting up numbers. So I, I can only forgive Judy so much for not putting up numbers when it's like, dude, like, yes, the other guys awesome. around you, yeah, have... the other guys are, are doing it. They're catching touchdowns. And it's like, you know, it's funny. I, I actually tweeted this out uh, earlier when I was at Patriots training camp. Uh, it was just like Jacoby Myers, you know, another year three wide receiver or a, a, a wide receiver that, you know, is known for his separation skills. And I literally just like, you know, filmed him, you know, breaking a nice little route from, you know, defensive back or one of the coaches or whatever. And I titled it discount Jerry Judy, because that's why we're drafting Judy so high, you know, the upside of a former first round pick in a upgraded quarterback situation. That's still projection. Like he still hasn't done anything on the stat sheet or, or done any type of numbers. Like he had three red, three targets in the red zone last year. That's it in the red zone, not, not even like the end zone, not even like the not ten, like, in, like three targets in the red zone. There were questions and marks about, okay, in three receiver sets. So is he playing in the slot or is he playing on the outside? What happens when the Denver Broncos rolled out two tight ends? You know, they're mm. talking a lot about the rookie they drafted. You have Albert Okoebunum there. Is Judy coming off the field? Is he, is he like losing snaps like, on the field? Yeah, yeah. Is he losing snaps to Tim Patrick. Remember like they, the new coaching, the new, uh, executives and management signed Cortland Sutton to an extension last year, signed Tim Patrick to an extension. This franchise did not, you know, under the current regime did not draft Jerry Judy in the first round. Like right. that, that, so for me, and I, I get that Judy has a path where he can be much better, but I really think that I'm driven more by the touchdown potential. And I think that guy's going to be Cortland Sutton. Like that's who I really think it's going to be. Um, so I, I hope this doesn't totally dissuade you from Jerry Judy, but I mean, if I were to recommend to anyone listening, you're like, dude, I'm taking Sutton over Judy nine times out of 10. Dude, it was funny. The two years ago, I asked, uh, my friend Eric, cause mm-hmm. it was, it might've been like the fifth or sixth round. I play in a big money league with all my buddies back home. And it's, I only play in one league because it was one year, dude, I was in like eight or nine different fantasy leagues. And I made the playoffs and I think six of them. And then I'm rooting for a touchdown by one guy and it's burning me on three other teams. I'm like, this is too chaotic. I only really cared <laughs> about one team. I ended up forgetting to start someone, which I never do. But I was like, oh, I thought I checked, you know, so I'm only in one. It's like my childhood friends. And uh, you mentioned the touchdowns. It reminded me of this story. I He takes DK Metcalf. And then right after I take Tyler Lockett and I go to him, I'm like, dude, like, what was your, like, reasoning behind that? And we were both, like, hammered. He just goes, because he scores fucking touchdowns. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Yeah, and I think I think DK Metcalf scored, like, double-digit touchdowns. Last <laughs> I was like, you know what? You're right, man. You're right. Touchdowns are king, for sure. Um, all right. Last thing I want to ask you is uh, how do you handle players that are pending suspensions? Because I'm looking at your rankings, and at 
tier 10, 121st overall, is a guy by the name of DeAndre Hopkins. And then if you scroll up a little bit more, you'll see Alvin Kamara, and he's 30th overall. These are guys who were not there by pick 17 in, in home leagues last season. Both of them are appealing their case. We don't know exactly how many games they're going to get, but what's your approach? Are you someone like these are picks that I would make because I'm always like when I'm drafting, I'm expecting for week 13, 14, 15. Like I I feel like I make I make enough good picks and I hit the waiver wire and I, you know, pick up players as the season goes where I'm always planning for playoffs. But what's like your approach to guys that suspensions are pending for? Yeah. So with Hopkins specifically, uh, I'm not touching DeAndre Hopkins. I think that, I, I mean, his case seems like more clear cut in terms of the where he got the suspension for, for PEDs. Mm. And I just can't deal with a guy that I have to sit on my bench for six weeks when, I mean, you talk about the waiver wire. I mean, you're missing out like on waiver wire guys. Like you need to churn the back end of your roster, especially now it can change depending on like, if you have an IR spot, like I'd be more open to drafting a guy like DeAndre Hopkins. If you have really, really, really deep benches, but like me, you only have five bench spots, six bench spots. Like every one of those is crucial. Like I, I want to be right. able to after week one, like I want to be able to pick up Elijah Mitchell. I want to be able to pick up Cordero Patterson. I don't want to miss out on those guys because I'm like, well, D hops on my bench. I can't drop him. And I'm stuck with him for six in six weeks is like half the fantasy season. Like it's not like, a two game suspension or a one game suspension where, okay, like whatever, like it's fine. Like it's a long time. And then you have the question marks about, okay, what, what's it going to look like when DeAndre Hopkins comes back? Like, is it just going to be automatically plug and play? Because last year, you know, he's batting through injuries. He had one game with double digit targets, two games with 80 or more receiving yards. In 2020, he had eight games with double digit targets and went over 80 receiving yards seven different times. So, I mean, his numbers like fell off significantly and it's going back to, I'd rather be a year too early than a year too late. And, you know, Hopkins has kind of already showed last year. It's like, okay, is this still like the same, like alpha target magnet guy that we saw? And then you're layering in the fact that he's going to miss six games. You know, what if Kyler Murray and Marquise Brown are just absolutely like cooking, you know, they're, they're so in sync, you know, what is this offense going to look like? You know, is Hopkins going to like drop, they're going to just like plop him back in there. Like, oh yeah, like we got to get 10 targets to DeAndre Hopkins. When traditionally the Cardinals have been a team that started out really hot and have been a team that you've wanted to fade in the second half of seasons when Kyler Murray, you know, fires up Call of Duty and is just like not paying attention anymore. So, and, and the fact that he's suspended, like he can't be with the team. Yeah. Like it, it's so different he's not from like being hurt. He's yeah, not practicing. Yeah. Like he's just taking time off. And he's not like actually injured. Like he's just being suspended for PEDs. And I mean, well, Fuller, another guy that got suspended for PEDs, like never was the same and never came back. And we're still waiting to see like where he ends up going. <laughs> so Hopkins specifically, I'm not touching. I just think that he's a roster like management nightmare. Like, cause then like, like, does he have trade value? Can you trade him? It's one of those things where I almost be more open to trading for him to whoever drafted him. Because I guarantee after three or four weeks, they're like, God, I got to get this guy off my roster. Like, I, I got to figure something out, especially if it's a bad team, you know, team that starts 0-4, Hopkins is not going to help them. So yeah. I think that's the way I'd approach it. And I think, too, like people don't 
ever think about that, you know, obviously you want to draft, you know, the players that you want, but there are more than one there. There's more than one way of acquiring players and through trading and, and thinking about, okay, like how is this guy's season going to play out? You know, how am I going to roster this player? Like asking yourself these questions, like how, how am I going to know when to start this guy? I think it's super key, like, and not to get off in a tangent, but like someone like Naeem Hines, no one knows when to start that guy. I'm just like telling you straight up. So Frank Wright can sell this BS about Naeem Hines having a big role, whatever. And he can say that you should take him in fantasy because you know why? Because he knows the games, which Naeem Hines will have a role in because yeah. he's the head coach of the Colts. That is not us. You know, we are, you know, players of the game and we are at the subject and we're at the mercy of these head coaches to give us whatever they want. And that's something I think that's not talked enough about in terms of fantasy analysis where, yeah. Okay. The Colts are projected to lose this game. Okay. We could see a bigger role from name Hines and then Jonathan Taylor rips off an 80 yard touchdown and they win the game by 20 points. It's like, it can be really hard to project, especially running backs in the passing game, guys like name Hines. So I think that Hawkins just from a roster management is just going to be a pain in the ass to own. And that's kind of why I don't recommend drafting him. Alvin Kamara, I think is a value as a guy that goes like in round three um, right now, obviously with the pending suspension and really with him, I think it's actually less likely he's going to get suspended at this point. Now we'll see how things kind of shake out when people you know have their drafts in late August, early September. But I think that right now it's probably going to get pushed down the line, like the suspension, like his hearing is, keeps getting pushed away. And unless this video leaks, Basically, the NFL is more than happy to kind of take things slow. They're like, we don't care how long this, like, we're not trying to get this done sooner rather than later. They have plenty of other things that they can deal with. Um, it's really just like a video where basically just like, okay, we have to suspend them now. Like right. what happened with Kareem Hunt, you know, anytime or with Ray Rice, like the videos, like video evidence, again, it put anything like shock. Like that's just how social media works is like a, the shock factor forces action. You know, people Absolutely. become social, you know, become advocates for X, Y, and Z after this big event happens. And then a week later, like no one's talking about it because it's not headliner news anymore. Whereas a video so of Kamara, yeah. Kamara is like beating up someone, you know, chasing after them. Like the NFL can't be like, oh, well, you know, we'll deal with it later. It's like, no, like he has to be suspended like now. So unless yeah. that happens, which I don't know if like, I mean, it's a Las Vegas hotel or whatever. And to, for them to be you know, sitting on that tape seems like they're sitting on a lot of money. So unless the NFL is bidding for it, I don't know, but it seems like they're pushing that back where he may not be suspended until next year. You know, we saw this with Brady, you know, Brady's suspension got forgiven. And then it wasn't until the following year where he was actually suspended for deflate gate um, for four games to start that season. So I think Kamara is someone I want to buy now, you know, the earlier drafts, if it's still like question marks about him. Um, I think in round three, obviously you're still inheriting some risk, but it's enough where I'd be willing to take a swing on him because I actually think that the suspension number is actually not, so not even going to potentially be there. Whereas with Hopkins, I feel pretty certain that he's going to get suspended and I'm just not going to deal with that. Dude. I uh I can't thank you enough for this, man. This was fun. It was fun to uh hear you break down some of these players in these situations. Is there anything you want to leave us with? Uh maybe like maybe like a gem player we should look later on. Like what's 
what's something you would uh, you would be excited to hear if you were on the other end of this? All right. So gem player for me, uh, diamond in the rough. So again, someone that you can get probably outside the top 100 picks that I am probably obsessed with at this point. And it's not just because I'm a Patriots fan, because usually you want to fade their backfield like the plague. <laughs> um, but for me, it's Ramondre Stevenson, uh, second year running back. And it's, I just think that he's the guy, like he has that it factor about him and people are afraid because it's new England and it's a running back by committee. Um, but you know, people were afraid of Jonathan Taylor last year too, because they're afraid of a backfield committee, even though he was efficient as a rookie. And that's where Ramondre Stevenson was last year. He's big, he catches passes, he's explosive, and he's attainable in every single draft. Like, so for me, you know, the stat that I use when I refer to Ramondre the best way possible is looking at PFF's highest graded rookie running backs over the last couple of years. So shout out to my former company, PFF. Um, so Kamara, Josh Jacobs, Nick Chubb, Jonathan Taylor, those four running backs over the last four years were PFF's highest graded rookie running backs as rookies. The next seasons, they were all you know, top eight fantasy guys. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson was that guy last year as a rookie. Mm. Um, so I, he just checks off so many boxes. And I think one thing that people aren't, or the, the consensus is not taking into consideration enough is that he, he did the unthinkable and it's not even something that he did on the field. So he was in the doghouse, like straight up in the doghouse after, you know, a brilliant preseason. The dude was just like manhandling backups and third stringers in the preseason for the Patriots last year. And it looked like he was going like to have like a Rolex start, but then, you know, week one, week two comes around, he fumbles. He's in the doghouse. Like he's, he's inactive. And you're like, Oh my God, like, this is not good. Like Belichick always red shirts, like, rookie running backs if they're not first round picks, like he's never even going to play. He escaped the Bill Belichick doghouse. Like that is so hard to do as a day three rookie running back. Ramondre Stevenson got out of the Bill Belichick doghouse. Like that. I wish that was a stat because it should be, it should be a metric that is held in high regard than anything else they actually did on the field because he, that's, that's almost impossible. I can't think of another player that was able to do that, especially with one that no draft capital. Like yeah. if you're a first round pick, then you're going to play like Sony, Michelle, Lawrence Maroney, those guys that were first round picks. Like they were going to play no matter what, but he was a fourth round pick. Like the Patriots don't have to play anyone. They, the Patriots don't even play like second round picks half the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and especially the if they that, go into the doghouse, like oh, yeah, exactly. Much exactly. So I just think that, I mean, obviously, you know, a Damien Harris injury is going to probably have to occur at some point for him to just like totally bust out. But I mean, during the second half of last year, you know, they were splitting touches like 50, 50. I've been at Patriots training camp and I've seen Ramondre. Like, I mean, gaming gets reps with the ones and so does Ramondre. Like, I really think it's like a one, a one B type of situation there, but who's more explosive, like who's better pass catcher. It's no doubt in my mind that it's Ramondre Stevenson. And it just takes Damian Harris getting banged up, missing a few games here and there for them to be like, dude, like this guy is legit. So Ramondre Stevenson, if you can't get Cortland Sutton, Ramondre Stevenson is the guy that you have to draft. I love it, dude. I love it. Tell the people where they can find you and where they could read some of your stuff on Fantasy Pros. 
Yeah. So my, I'm on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore. Same thing on the TikTok machine, Instagram, all the social media handles. And yeah, all my written content over on fantasypros.com, free rankings. Most of my articles are also free. Some are behind a paywall, but um, just slide into the DMs and I will hook you up, get you the good information that you need. Uh, but it is worth it though. You know, it, they definitely have a lot of great stuff, especially during draft season where they have, you know, mock drafts, mock draft simulator, a lot of good stuff to really get you prepped. I um, mean, you actually like import your league, which is really cool. And like, if you know you're drafting from like the six or seven spot, um, it really helps like get ready by doing mock drafts to know exactly what to expect um, based on like the league setting. So if you're drafting ESPN, Yahoo, like it'll import the ADP. So you'll be like more in line with what actually will happen in your drafts and, yeah, on the Fantasy Pros football podcast, you know, three days a week, we're probably going to be ramping it up to five now that August has finally arrived. And yeah, just give us a follow. Give us a give us a listen. Um, if you like listening to podcasts, we just have a fun time talking about fantasy. Um, backed up with analysis, of course, the hard hitting analysis, but we always try to have fun. We actually had a, a listener YouTube comment come in. He said um, uh, the YouTube comment was like, you know, uh, my, I live in my grandmother's basement and it's literally been like tearing my life apart, but this podcast like makes me happy. And it was just like, know. dude, like this is, this is what we do it for. So we do it for the people and uh, I'm excited for another season. So I hope you guys uh, hop along. Dude, once again, thank you for your time. I appreciated it. I'll make sure to have all the links in the bio for the episode. And for all of you listening, veteransminimum.com is where you can find everything. We're giving out, not giving out, but there's a merch shop, Patreon, a lot of extra content coming on the Patreon, betting stuff, the whole nine. And we will catch you guys later this week. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.